This is the Overtime Podcast Network. Welcome, Riffrets, to this Blackhawks Hockey Ringcast episode 46. Brought to you by the Overtime Media Podcast Network. Your sport, your team, and your time. And also from our founding sponsors at puckhockey.com. That's P U C K H C K Y.com. Head over, get yourself some rinkware, get yourself some puck hockey gear, use the discount code The Rink, T H E R I N K, and get 10% off on all of your orders. Super loop. Today is Wednesday, March 6th, 2019. I am Jeff Osborne, better known across the interwebs as Gatekeeper. My name is Jeff. It's Hefe, man. And I am joined by my good friend, co-host, and fellow grumpy old guy, Mr. John Jekyll. Hello, sir. Yay. Hey. Figure it out. And we are also joined by the-rink.com NCAA expert, Aaron Goldschmidt from smoky Denver, Colorado. Hello, sir. Hello, hello. Where is AA Ron right now? <laughs> you know I can't. I have to do that. I'm contractually obligated. <laughs> you done messed up, AA Ron! <laughs> well, at least this time you didn't try to trade Patrick Kane to Colorado Avalanche, so. I never did that. <laughs> so, all right, while we're here... <clears throat> We are all your most trusted sources at your favorite online hockey hangout, the-rink.com, like I mentioned earlier. So, um, well, here we are, uh, March 6th. It's been, uh, it was a long weekend. Uh, the Blackhawks lost two of three on the road. Uh, but as of right now, um, I'm just going to kind of rattle off the, uh, what, they're, what they're doing or, or, as far as like stats go. Um, and then we're going to get to Evans, uh, Evan Miller's report from Indianapolis. We haven't had an Indy report in a while, so he's going to throw an Indy report and let let you know what's going on with the uh, Indy fuel. Um, <clears throat> and then we'll go into questions and we'll do we'll kind of roll it that way. So anyway, first of all, the um, Blackhawks stats: they are twenty-seven, thirty, and nine, sixty-three points. Lost two of three to their conference rivals on the road. Uh, seventh in the Central, still twenty-fifth overall, uh, five points out of the wild card that hasn't really moved much, but still um, teams are just kind of pulling away from them a little bit. Uh, gold differential actually went down. They're, uh, they were at negative 25 last time. They're negative 30. Uh, 19th in faceoff percentage. Uh, last still overall in the penalty kill, and they actually went down. They're almost three full percentage points below the 31st team, or the, yeah, <clears throat> the 30th team. Sorry, excuse me. Uh the power play is 10th overall, which has actually dropped three slots. So uh, they were like seven last time we recorded. So the power play is kind of evening out again. Uh, goals four, or the goals four, they're, two, they're eighth overall at 219. They dropped a couple slots. Goals against, they are only uh, ahead of the Ottawa Senators with 250 goals against. And shots uh, faced per game, uh, they're at 35. And, uh, they are also uh, ahead of just the Ottawa Senators. So that's how they are as far as that goes. Possession numbers, 20th in Corsi, 27th in Fenwick. Uh, high danger save percentage, they're actually starting to drop a little bit. Uh, they're at 7th, and their 5-on-5 five five save percentage dropped 
to 26th overall at 9-11. So the wonderful Corey Crawford uh, trade deadline acquisition isn't really going uh, as one might assume if they thought that was actually true. Um, <clears throat> so that's what we have as far as the Blackhawks go. What do you guys? Uh, what do you guys have to say about uh, the stat lines, John? Uh, yeah, you know the Blackhawks are who we thought they were. <laughs> yeah. That's pretty much it. Aaron. Uh, I'm kind of with John. I'm in that boat. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of heart and soul players that have left this team in the last few years, and it's not really surprising that uh, they are where they are. But there are some positives. You know, you, you got to look at it as I think we're trying to look at it as a rebuild as much as they don't want to announce it as a rebuild. But you know, there's there are things to look forward to. It's just, you know, going to take some time. But, you know, three seasons um, not making the playoffs is, is tough for this fan base. Well, kind of in uh, recent tradition, we've we started off with kind of the good things since we've always been branded as the negative uh, podcast. But uh, so the positives. Aaron, you brought it up before we started recording, and uh, I was kind of going to bring it up anyway. But Good things. What are the good things to take out of what we you know where the Blackhawks are? They're not, you know, obviously they're not going to make the playoffs like we've been saying. Although a lot of people in the media this week suddenly have come to this uh, this grand, uh, you know, whatever uh, that the Blackhawks are now not or not a good enough team to play in the playoffs, which we've been saying since you know the beginning of the season, and more recently. Uh, <clears throat> the meatballs getting on the bandwagon just because of a small uh, win streak that, you know, was only like 10 games long. But anyway, um, I digress with that part. Uh, Dylan Strom, he's been awesome, right? Yeah. I mean, you couldn't have expected that out of, at the time, Nick Schmaltz. I mean, I, I wouldn't have expected this kind of out of Nick Schmaltz. And then when they traded for Dylan Strom, which – you know, obviously, if you're giving up at a number three overall pick, uh, there's something to it. So maybe there was whatever there was in Phoenix. And uh, but, you know, he's come over and now making Stan Bowman look like a genius with that trade. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of ironic. Uh, what do you guys think about Strome? Uh, I, you know, I like what I see. I mean, he's definitely got good chemistry with the bracket and um you know, I'll I'll trade um, his lack of speed for um, Nick Schmaltz's speed any day of the week because of the other um, characteristics that uh, that uh, Strom brings to the rink. Um, you know, his he's fearless going into the into the to, to the slot or on the net or relatively so. Um, you know, he likes to shoot the puck. He likes to pass the puck. Um, he seems to have good a sense for the play and how the play develops. He can play with, with very skilled players. I mean, he's part of that top power play unit, which is that to me is probably that and the, you know, emergence of Strom and, and to bring it as bigger stars is, is probably the big news this year. I mean, yeah, I mean, Gustafson's emergence is in some ways uh, big news too, but there's part of Gustafson that's still stuck in, you know, crap town. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't really count him as much, but, uh, you know, I, I'm, uh, 
No, I'm, I'm really liking, you know, what I'm seeing of Strom. And, you know, the other thing is, too, is that, you know, you look at him, he looks like he's 12 years old. So there's probably some room for physical maturation still there. Um, <clears throat> and uh, we have a question at the end from um, one of our listeners about Strom and about his upside um, in addition to to break it, and we can go a little deeper on it then. Yeah, Aaron, you anything particular you want to mention about Strom? Yeah, so I, I'll be the first to admit I was not a fan of the Schmaltz trade, just because I saw a lot in Nick Schmaltz, even though um, a lot of people didn't like that he didn't shoot first and he kind of didn't really fit what the Blackhawks were trying to do. Um, and I really thought that Dylan Strom was kind of just a bust like why would they give up so quickly on a guy who was picked third overall he's got great size good hands he was great in juniors i just thought that there had to be something more wrong like there must have been an attitude problem something uh, intangible that we just weren't seeing but he's saying all the right things doing all the right things um it seems like he just got another chance at um a new new place to play and a different system, different environment, and it's working out. And it, it's so intriguing because he's really what we wanted to get when we traded, um, when we got Artem Isimov. We were like, okay, we got this 6'4", huge second-line center. This is what we've been looking for for the last 10 years. And Anisimov was good for that year with Panarin and Kane, but – he hasn't really panned out to be that real dominant playmaking second line center that we've been looking for. And I think that Dylan Strom is showing a lot of that. He can fill that role and be a future player for the Hawks. He can probably be a first line center. What say you guys? I don't know. You know, again, we'll go deeper on that at the end um, because the there's a specific question comparing him to a, and a current NHL star and, a probably a superstar duo. of recent years. Yeah, duo. Um, but um, you know who uh, Strom reminds me a little bit of in terms of eh, its size and, and his skating and, and sort of his um, his uh, his profile, how he plays, his style of play. It reminds me a little bit of a young Jason Spezza. Um, and, uh, you know, Spezza you know, used to get dogged a lot um, when he played for the Senators and I think there was always a sense of unfulfilled potential with Spezza, but, you know, he was, for a while, was a very good and effective player. Um, and Strom reminds me a little bit of him, you know. And I, So I think, ultimately, I think he's going to be a second-line center for you. Um, he clearly knows how to play with the brinket and get some points playing with the brinket. I'm, you know, his lack of speed, I think, is going to be um, something that's kind of going to hold him back a little bit. Um as, as a centerman is, you know, in terms of playing that, that first line center role, um, not sure how great of a defensive player he is. I, I haven't honestly looked at that part of his game that closely, but I think the speed probably hurts him a little bit there. And, and, uh, you'd also like to see him get a little better on faceoffs too. I think he's somewhere around 48% right now. Um, you'd like to see that push to 50 or, or a little North of that. I think, uh, I think he was better on faceoffs with Arizona. Yeah. So um, maybe that's just you know I who knows what it is where maybe he's getting you know uh, faceoffs in in different zone separations or whatever. Right. He, he could be getting different zone starts, etc. Although I think honestly he's getting a lot of offensive zone starts right now. 
um, yeah. just based upon the way that that line is is producing and who he's playing with. You know, um, who, who actually I was thinking of, and he might not be another one, another center who maybe I was thinking of, which I could picture him being more, more, you know, that type of player is Eric Stahl. Yeah. <clears throat> or even Brad Richards. You yeah. know, he's a little bigger than Richards, but he's, you know, he's, he could be sort of in that same, in that same zone. Although I think he's, he's a little more of a shooter um, than Richards was. Richards was more of a pure setup guy. Yeah. Well, anyway, um, we'll move on from Strom. Uh, we don't want to spend the whole episode talking about Dylan Strom. Uh, lately, the emergence of Perlini, he's been playing better lately. That's a good thing because, I mean, honestly, if you get anything quality out of Perlini and you're getting a lot of quality out of Strom, uh, you know, when this trade shakes out over, you know, the next couple of years, it could look really nice for the Blackhawks. But again, it's a small sample size. It's only been a couple of games for Perlini, but those two games or two goals he had, uh, what was it against the Kings? I think, I mean, those are quality NHL goals, yeah. man. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, like, you know, we were just talking about him, I think last week and I was saying, I don't, th- I don't, I don't think it, I think it's too early to give up on him because he's got a, a really good size speed combination and, you know, he can be tough to play against. Um, I just think it's finding the right role for him, him kind of finding his role with the team. But honestly, I think the Hawks kind of need more guys of, of his age and size speed combination. And he's got some skill, too. I mean, he's shown it. He was a first round pick, you know. Um, yeah. So, I, I, you know, really like to see them find a place for him and a role for him where he can flourish. Well, that's what I even said when the trade happened. It's like we're giving up a first, a late first round pick, and we're getting two other first round picks back. Like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, like on paper, that sounds good to me. You know, even if we were to get one back, uh, one former first round pick back, you know, um, yeah, like like the same thing they did with Cuckoo. Like Cuckoo, he's a former first round pick. You you know you you traded a free agent signing, you know, a, a European free agent signing for a former first round draft pick. I don't know. A former first round pick and a current traffic cone. No, <laughs> I mean he skates okay. I just he's he's got a, the same sort of problem as as Gustafson has. He ends up you know ten feet behind a guy on a breakaway and on the on the hot goalie a lot. <laughs> yeah, well that Gustafson play. Uh, was yeah, it against the Sharks. Yeah, with the hurdle goal at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, where he's just, he was like he's sauntering over to the bench. You know, you could see the play was kind of breaking up, and uh, he just basically ignored it. <laughs> yeah, I, I, you know, that kind of thing. Quite honestly, you know, for all the love he gets from the media and from the fans, I, I, players do not like that. Period. No, and you so, have to think. And this is what's going through my head as I'm watching this play. Is yeah, Duncan Keith got blown around on that, but he should have had some support there with him. You know, oh, yeah. to leave yeah. just to, to just say, you know, you're going to leave Duncan Keith out there by himself and he's just got to fend for himself. He, you know, he, sure, he's better than average and everything, but you want to have support out there with him. And he didn't like Gustafson really did that. It's almost like that men's league thing where the men and the men's league players won't stop. They do the curl around. Right. That's kind of what Gustafson did. Like yeah. he kind of acted like he turned like he was going to get back into the play, but he never yeah. even really started pumping his legs. He was yeah, that's like, funny because uh, our, our our skills guy, Coach Bob Rose, here at the rink, he talks about how players need to do hard hard hockey stops and hard and, and hard starts 
um, in both directions, not those wide looping turns because they get you behind the play. You know, I just, you know, I, that's my problem with Gustafson is I feel like he's he's very blasé, noncommittal and not motivated to play defense. All he wants to do is be up ice in the offensive play. And, you know, I've, I've heard the argument, well, he's he's a rover. He plays the quote unquote Swedish style, whatever that means. You know, the, you know, they the Q basically destroyed Michael Kempney's brain in Chicago because of that. And, um, you know, the reality of it is, is, yeah, he's he, he's he, because of that, he's able to contribute so much offensively. But it's almost like you're playing, you know, at a, a man down. You're almost playing on a penalty kill when he's out there five on five. Yeah, because he gets so far out of the play. And, and I mean, how I mean, just on the road trip to the West, I mean, how many how many breakaways were they were, were there where he was like way behind the play? You know, I mean, and he's supposed to they're supposed to be playing more of a man on man system. How do you how do you do that? Yeah, well, <clears throat> that's a very good question. That's what we've been asking all year. I don't want to get back into into the negative too much. Let's uh, do we yeah, have Strom is at forty five point one percent for the yeah, year with the Hawks. Yeah, that's has to be that's bad. not good enough. Yeah. Um, you know uh, the Delia thing, you know him emerging is you know a potential at least backup next year, at least backup next year I will say, um, is really nice and uh, the contract that Bowman signed him to was great because the three years at three million dollars I mean a million dollars a year that's nothing. So it's like they have a backup for the next three years if they want, you know, yep. if, if it works out in a, in a really nice number. So, I mean, the Corey Crawford thing aside, and I don't want it because uh, that's more on the negative stuff. Um, you know, it, any other positives for you guys, uh, John? Um, right now, oh, gosh. Um, you know, I mean – the you know the big four are having a great season to break it sod taves kane um they're all having big years i mean well you know sod relatively speaking sod's playing sod's having a good year yeah you know uh but you know all those guys are having great i mean it kind of takes me takes me back i mean if the hawks had done some made some bigger moves to to upgrade the defense in the offseason we might be having a different conversation today uh, about you know where they're at as a team and and they they probably be in the playoff picture with how well these guys are playing, um, but you know the other the other side of it is is you know uh, after those guys it's 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 kind of a you know the 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 landscape becomes more desolate. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, that's that's an interesting point because you know we we've poo pooed all of this uh, playoff talk. Uh, yes, we but, poo-pooed it. Yes, we did. We have poo-pooed it. And, uh, but if they had made, you know, some moves last year or at the draft or whatever, uh, you're right. They could very well be in the playoff picture because if everyone was having this, this offensive breakout year and they had a couple of other defensemen, maybe it's just two other defensemen that, you know, can play in their own end and can move their feet and can clear out, you know, someone in front of the net they may very well be right in in that playoff picture or solidly in that playoff picture. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, they wouldn't be giving up 35 shots a game. They wouldn't be giving up the most goals. You know, uh, Delia played okay. Uh, Ward's played okay. Um, Crawford's played okay. They, they've they all played decent enough that, uh, you know, you give them five less shots a game and you're talking about, you know, a goal less a game per at least probably. 
and then you know you're, you're looking a little better. So, <clears throat> yeah, but that's on the uh, standbow. Uh, Aaron, you you got any other uh, pluses you want to bring up? Yeah, for all the prospect nerds like me, and, and I was going to say, is it Ian Mitchell? <laughs> no, it's actually not. So, um, I think a big positive is that the 2018 draft is looking pretty darn good. Um, Adam Boquist, obviously Nicholas Bodin, obviously great, but the bottom half of that draft is surprisingly really good. Um, Kurashev's doing really well, uh, in the queue right now. Hekarainen, although I'm upset that he left college hockey and left for the USHL doing really, really uh, the goalie Alexis Gravel's won over 30 games with Halifax, um, and Slavin. Josiah Slavin, mm-hmm. who's with the the steel right now, has got you know ten points in thirteen games, something like that. So there's a lot of productivity in in the guys we just brought into our system, and I think that's that's a reason to be optimistic uh, among a lot of the other uh, cast of characters that we talk about a lot. But um, yeah, the new guys are, are looking really good, and you know there's a lot to look forward to. Cool. All right. Well. With uh, that segment being over, the pluses of the Blackhawks, we'll take a quick commercial break, and then we'll come right back. We'll finish this up, and we'll answer some questions. So here we go. Finding the right pros for home projects can be tough and spark a lot of questions like, how do I find a pro who can help? Will they do a good job? Will I get a fair price? That's where HomeAdvisor can help. From leaky faucets to major remodels, HomeAdvisor connects you to the right pro for the job in seconds and even helps you get a fair price. Read reviews, check project cost guides, and book appointments. Go to HomeAdvisor.com or download the free HomeAdvisor app to start your next project. Okay, and now we're back. Um, So let's talk a little more about the Blackhawks, then we'll let Evan do his report. Um, So the Blackhawks... Uh, they went one and three or one and two on the road trip, which uh, not good. Uh, they only got the, the two points. Uh, and this is against, you know, teams potentially or at least that they could face in the playoffs. And uh, they didn't even really. They didn't even really compete that well. I mean, the one game they won, they, you know, it was what it was, but. What did you guys think of the weekend games, the San Jose, uh, L.A., and Anaheim games? Well, the Anaheim game was, a, you know, an encouraging start to the road trip. Um, the other two weren't very good. Yeah. Um, Aaron, did you see them? Yeah, I, I saw them. The, the uh, L.A. game is just typical of this year, right? Just start from behind and then crawl back and then lose in a shootout. I, I don't know. It's just those games are getting harder and harder to watch. Yeah. And it's like, you can't, uh, you can't believe in anything. <laughs> the Blackhawks get get up by three goals and blow it. The Blackhawks could get down by three goals and, uh, come back. Yeah. It's complete and utter insanity out there. Cause there's no defense. I keep posting that on the, uh, the Facebook and the, uh, Twitter pages. It, it's defense optional. And yeah. more and more games are defense optional. Yeah. No one's playing goalie. No one's playing defense. It's just running, you know, track meet back and forth. And sure, that's all fun and well in the in the regular season, sell regular season tickets. But 
you know, once April hits and you're in the playoffs, that, that that's not going to fly. So is, is the NHL just trying to take a page out of the NBA and how they shifted their game? I mean, think of the NBA in, in the nineties and uh, the Knicks and the Pacers and the Pistons. Like, those were badass teams. And then they just all of a sudden went golden state warriors on everybody. And it was like, all right, let's get 120 points a night. And that's what people want to see. I feel like hockey's kind of making that change too. It's getting away from the physicality and just going towards how many goals can we score? Yeah. I think this, I think we're talking about a regular season phenomenon though. Um, I just playoff hockey to me remains what it always has been just a war of attrition, a physical slog, you know, dump more, a lot more dump and chase, um, you know, um, a lot more, you know, just, you know, trying to maintain zone possession and, and, um, it's, it's almost a different, almost a different game. Um, and, uh, yeah, the run and gun stuff is great for the regular season and I'm sure Gary Bettman loves it. Um, don't get me started on him, but, um, you know, the, the end of the day, I mean, I, I think you need to build your team for the playoffs you know, make it good enough that you can get to the playoffs. But I think you need to build your team for the playoffs. And, and I, you know, I look at the, the Capitals, for example, and most cup winners are composed that way. They're composed of, you know, big guys who can skate and are willing to engage physically. And, and you know, they've got some skill players, too. And, and that's that those are the teams that typically, you know, win 16 games, at, you know, after the regular season. Yeah. Once upon a time, that was our team. Yeah, well, 2010, 2013, 2015. That yes, I agree. That's that's what those teams were. 2010 alone, my God. And yeah. Troy Brower, Kopecky, yeah. big guy. Um, Dustin Bufflin, big buff. Oh Andy God, don't bring up Bufflin. <laughs> bring up Bufflin again. We're gonna say they're gonna say we're uh, obsessed with Dustin Bufflin. <laughs> we are. Yeah. That will be a sad day when he retires. I'm sorry. That guy makes hockey fun, in my opinion. Over the line. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That, I mean, I agree with all those thoughts on the trip. I mean, it's just they are what they they are what we thought they were. And sorry if uh, you know you couldn't accept that and you wanted to think it was all you know puppies and unicorns and rainbows. <laughs> you went out and you bought yourself a Winwell hockey helmet. Yeah. So you could tweet pictures yourself. Yeah, I mean. Just like I mentioned a little earlier this week, all of a sudden, it's like all these articles are coming out saying, oh, well, the Blackhawks, you know, it was fun while it lasted, but they probably didn't deserve to be in a playoff race anyway. It was, quote, never in the cards. Yeah, that's that's the one that uh, I read this this uh, this week. You go know, back and read. Yeah, go back and read some of these articles. Wait, wait a minute. Weren't you saying about six weeks ago how the playoffs were a real possibility and and hashtag anything can happen? Yeah. Now it was never in the cards. Yeah. Like whiplash. They're putting up polls on NBCSN. Can they make the playoffs? If they yeah. if they win, you know, what if they win eight out of eight out of every ten for the rest of the season, they're going to make the playoffs. Whoever's yeah. coming up with those polls and doing the Chirons on on uh, NBCSN Chicago, that is like meatball central. That's like ground <laughs> zero for meatballs, right there. Ground meatballs. <laughs> should I should I bring out the meatball alert? Do it. Beedo, beedo, beedo. <laughs> That's our meatball alert. <laughs> yeah. So now all of a sudden it's like we we were the ones who didn't know anything. We were the ones who were the jerks. We were the negative, mean negative guys. 
Now all of a sudden everyone else is doing it. And it's like, oh well, yeah, I guess not. We're not gonna give you know. We're not gonna we're not gonna admit that anyone was right about anything. No, never. Uh, and it's not even like it was like we didn't have to be some kind of prophets to figure this out. Like it was all right out in front of everybody, but they're they're throwing this smoke screen up that you know this team is better than it is, just to to drum up clicks or something, or uh, to you know so the the management is happy with you and allows you to do things. I don't know whatever it was whatever it was. All of a sudden, now it's switched again. Oh, I guess they're not that good. All right. I remember in our chat, I I said at the end of January, I just have a feeling the Blackhawks are going to go on this stupid run in February and screw up our lottery pick. And I just, I looked at the schedule. I was like, we can beat these teams. We have good players on this team. I think we can at least go on a decent run. And then it happened. And now we're probably going to get stuck with what out of the top 10 pick you guys think? I think they're going to get right. I think they're going to be right where they were last year. Seven, eight. Yeah. And I don't know that that's necessarily going to be enough for, you know, they're going to get, you know, like, and this is a good, and this is another thing. Uh, We could bring this up now too, since we're talking about articles and people's all of a sudden sales switching the other way around this Adam Boakvist this week, the article coming out saying, Oh, well, Maybe or Adam Bocas probably won't be ready next year, and maybe won't be ready the year after that. You're, oh no, you're kidding me! Oh, again, who's been saying that? Who's been saying yeah. that? Here, you know, we we like to pat ourselves on the back, but you know, man, I'm tired of being right. <laughs> well, you know, it's and it's not so much that we're right; it's it's that there's this ridiculous way out over their skis prospect fever that that just constantly permeates the Hawk fan base. And you, you constantly have to ring these guys back in. They just, I mean, there was all these people assuming that Boakvist, Mitchell, Bodin, and uh, Chad Chris were all going to be playing for the Hawks next year. I mean, it was like people were talking, we're actually using the word fact in connection with that. I had to, I had to talk a guy back. It was like, dude, how is that a fact? It's not you a know? fact. Yeah, no, it's because people were saying it on the internet. If you if you took everything people say on the internet as fact, you'd be the proud owner of several bridges. <laughs> I mean, it's just it, it's 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 these narratives that gain traction because it's what people want to believe. And the real no, the reality of it is, is there is no simple easy solution to how crappy this defense is that's coming over the the horizon next year. They're going to have to figure some things out if they really want, if they want to, you know, while Kane and Taves are still in their prime and you've got, you know, like uh, a millimeter of tread left on Duncan, Duncan Keith's tires, you got to figure something out next year as far as is bringing player, bringing experienced players in with NHL experience um, who are not, you know, five foot 11, 168 pounds. Um, you know, Bokvist has a potential to be a great player in a, in a few years. But because of his size, because he had, he doesn't have a lot of experience in North America, um, less than a season, um, you know, because he's had a concussion history and because his game is is Eric Gustafson 2.0 at this point, you, you hope that he can develop the defensive side of the game, you know, a lot like Duncan Keith did at that age, um, you know, then he could be a really he could be a really exceptional player. But there's and why Russia? You know, rush him so he can, you know, his his head can get messed up 
because you're trying to get him to do things he's not ready to do at the NHL level and destroy his confidence. Um, that's happened with many, many young defensemen like him. Um, you know, or gets, you know, get his brains rattled um, because the big boys hit harder than they do in junior. Well, I mean, yeah, it's, it's a good point. Uh, uh, we we keep rehashing this every time, but everyone's saying, you know, all these young defensemen are going to be coming up next year. Oh, really? Now it's been, you know, more widely uh, reported that Boquist probably isn't going to be ready next year. Almost certainly isn't going to be ready next year. Um, and Aaron, you could probably speak on this. The the scuttlebutt out there about Ian Mitchell is that he's going to stay at least three of his four years, maybe all four years at Denver. And so that gives, that means he's two years out as well. Yeah. So I, I've seen a lot of Ian Mitchell the last couple of years and I think mentally he's there. I think he's ready. He's taken a lot, a big step this year in, in like a leadership role, but I, it's not that he's, that he can't sign after this year. I just think that it would benefit him to come back one more year physically. Um, he can get bigger. He can get stronger. He's made a huge jump from freshman to sophomore year, but I mean, the guy's like, you know, 19, 20 years old. He's not going to come into the NHL and light the world on fire like John is saying. Like, just give him the time. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, and everybody thought Dylan Secura was ready last year. Oh, well, that's another thing. We have that in the questions. We'll get to we'll that. We'll get to that for yeah. sure. But, uh, but I did want to sneak in one more thing. Yeah. Um, one thing when I think it was Bob McKenzie who mentioned when the Blackhawks drafted Bodan was that I think he, his second year with Drummondville, he was doing really well offensively, but his coach benched him because – or not benched him, but he wasn't getting top defensive uh, minutes just because he wasn't good defensively. And then he turned it all around and started you know, having a strong emphasis on defense. And then getting he started to get all those top minutes. And um, this year he's a plus 59 in 50 games. Oh, Jesus Christ. With Drummondville. And I know those numbers in the queue are – are rough, but he's had, yeah. he's committed his, this year to defense and probably last year. But I think for a guy who's also 5'11, 170, um, he probably has the best numbers right now, um, as far as like, you know, being in, in his own zone. But I, I don't know. It's, it's really tough to tell. And I'm, I'm with John all the way on this. It's just, we got to be patient with these guys. And, and that's the hardest part about it is that, with every year that they need to develop, Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane are getting closer to 35. Right. Yeah. And and it's like we've been saying this for months. Make up your minds, guys, on on what you want this team to be and where we're going because I don't think there really is too many options in the short term. But you know, we're trying to be positive. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of why I brought that up. I mean, now. You know, who? First of all, we get the we've seen the question. Well, who are they going to sign next summer? Well, okay, maybe there's not a whole lot of free agents. Maybe they're going to have to trade for a guy, but they're going to need a defenseman. But the fact of the matter is, is that Boquist, unless he has a you know a, an incredible camp like you know Cinderella camp, uh, isn't going to be probably be playing with the Blackhawks. And if he gets if he doesn't make the Blackhawks, he's got to go back to junior for the rest of the year. Uh, because of his age so you know maybe they'll keep him up for the you know the 10 slider games at the beginning of the season 
but I, he, he's not going to make the team. He, I mean, he would just have to have this incredible run. And then, you know, Ian Mitchell now, I heard, actually heard that he had said something like he is definitely coming back next year to Denver. So that would rule him out. So then you all you have is Bodan and, you know, a returning Yoki Haru. I don't, that's not enough to fix this defense. That, that is not. I mean, even, even the fact that they're still green, but even just those two guys, like that's not enough. That, that, that That's not the defense. That's not the size. That's not the snarl you need on this defense. So you have, you have to bring someone in from the outside. There's no one in the organization right now that has that. So you're going to have to bring them in. You're going to probably have to make a trade. And, and that's how you're going to have to fix your problem. Because it's just, you know, the sad truth. That that kind of brings up, I think, an important issue that I've been thinking about for a while now is how long is Stan Bowman's leash? Well, I mean, I think they're giving him a pretty decent leash. I mean, I have not been disappointed by Stan Bowman uh, recently. I mean, getting, you know, Cuckoo for Ruta, that's fine. Uh, you know, getting Kajula for Manning, great. That was a great <laughs> turnaround. I don't even know how uh, you know, Edmonton's front office let that happen. Uh, and and the, you know, so far the Arizona trade has turned out really well. So lately, he's he seems like he's making some some positive moves. And I would think that maybe that Nick Schmaltz, you know, trying to sell that Nick Schmaltz move to the front office, the rest of the front office, may have been a little difficult because they had been pumping his tires and pumping him up and you know all that other garbage. So to to, to to turn right around and trade him, uh, I think that I think that, that shows me at least that he's a little bit of a leash. Uh, you know, this summer I think he's gonna have to give a presentation. You know, find his guy and this is what I want to do and present present it to him. But you got to have some kind of plan. You can't go into if 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 they come if they pass that draft and they don't have something going on like the prospects not looking real good for you know July first. There's not guys you can run out there and sign. I mean, you could sign Eric Carlson, but, you know, he may be re-signed by then. And, um, you know, that, you know, we've talked about that before. It, it can definitely help their defense, but are they going to want to go a long-term deal with, a you know, a guy that's, you know, approaching 30 and, and that whole deal? So. But, but all of his moves don't really go towards an overall goal. There's, they're all just kind of, super short term but they, you see what i'm saying like they don't scream rebuild or they don't scream i'm trying to win right now i don't i just don't know what it is it just seems like they're all frozen in time in like 2015 well yeah they definitely are because they've been kicking the can down the road but yeah i i think this i think the problem is i think this team's had a new sort of soft rebuilding plan every year since 2015 you know first there was the youth movement you know um which failed miserably and you know then they went to this you know more recently they've gone to kind of you know backfilling with real bargain bin free agent moves and and um you know bringing in a couple of ex-hawks i mean it just the last couple of years i don't think they've really had a plan um what I've heard, and here's a little bit scuttlebutt from the rumor mill, is that is that they are probably going to try to use some of their cap space this summer to uh, build out the the depth of the team. I think that they 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 are 
pleased with the resurgence of some of the top players, but they feel like they need to, to build out some of the depth of the team. And so they may, they may make some budget moves in free age in unrestricted free agency. Um, I would think, you know, they're setting their sights higher than the, the Brandon Manning, Chris Kunitz moves. That's kind of what it sounds like. <laughs> can't, be much, source, can't be much lower. Pardon me? Can't be much lower. No, right. Uh, I think they're, they're trying to go higher than that. But, uh, you know, this, this, the source doesn't necessarily feel that they're going to go really big in free agency. Um, uh, he, this person, he, this person said that, um, um, that uh, there are, there, there's, there are teams around the NHL who um, are interested in Artemi Panarin who suspect that the Hawks are, but the Hawks may not actually be. The other thing I heard was that uh, um, there have been some conversations, there were some conversations between the Hawks and the Florida Panthers about Artem Anisimov, and you start to connect some dots there. This is really interesting. Um, you know, Dale Talon um, may have had some interest in Anisimov due to the fact that he's trying to land the duo of Anisimov's buddy Artemi Panarin and Sergei Bobrovsky. Um, so they're, you know, I guess the thinking is if Anisimov is there, it makes it maybe a little bit more appealing to those players. Um, uh, but uh, at the same time, um, this source felt like Talon may have backed off on a deal for Anisimov because of the signing bonus or excuse me, the roster bonus that he's owed in the summer, but also because I think some some GMs who are interested in Panarin are worried about the Hawks, um, as some have rumored, going hard after Panarin if they have you know another four and a half million dollars in cap space. Um, although the source felt like th- there's no guarantee that they're actually going after Panarin. Hmm. That's interesting. But Anisimov could go to Florida in June. Yeah, and, and there has been a lot of talk. The dynamic duo, Batman and the Boy Wonder, uh, Panarin and uh, Barovsky. There's been talk that they uh, could head to uh, Florida. So, yeah, I think when when they when Panarin fired his agent to go with Bobrovsky's agent, I think that's when that that narrative was born, and it certainly makes it it actually makes a lot of sense. You know, this could be a a, a lot more. Uh... Uh, 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 complex. I mean, it's not just, it might not be just such a simple, uh, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, why do we need, yeah. Why do we need Artemi Panarin if we're eighth in the league in goals for? That's what we've maintained all along. The, the problem is not that they don't score goals. They're in the top third of the league in scoring goals. Putting them, in, you know, Let's say uh, Artemi Panarin makes them uh, goes from they go from seventh to fourth in, in goals scored in the but that still doesn't keep the puck out of the net. They're still giving up thirty five shots a game. They're still giving up you know the most amount of goals or you know close to the most amount of goals uh, per game. Artemi Panarin does nothing to change that, and he also stunts the growth of Alex DeBrincat. So. I mean, who's your guy? Is 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 the cat your guy, or is he not your guy? Because... Yeah, I mean, there's a there's <laughs> there's an assumption that if you add Panarin in, that it's it's purely kind of an incremental additive um, add to the team. The problem is is that he would take some some ice time and some situations away from DeBrincat because they both play the same position, and both of them can't play in the first power play unit. I think we talked about this last week. I mean, but. 
It's funny. I, I feel like the Panarin fever, the Panarin derangement syndrome, as we've trademarked it here at the rink.com, I feel like it's subsided a little bit. I think people are finally starting to see that, you know, even the most steadfast meatball Panarin freaks um, can, can kind of see now that really the problem is the defense. But then you get the argument, yep, they have all this money to spend, and the, the defensemen in, in unrestricted free agency aren't very good, so we should just go out and, like, spend $70 million on forwards because we have all this money. That's a really foolish way to run an NHL team, and I don't think the Hawks would do that. I think they'd hold on to the money in the cap space, for a year if if there's nothing in UFA that really helps them. I and then again they did sign Chris Conan, so I'll, I'll just shut up now. <laughs> no. I mean seriously, yeah. I think I, I think that uh you know, there's no law. Nobody's got a gun to their head that they have to spend all of this money this summer on a bunch of forwards because there are no defensemen to get. I mean, I they they need to be judicious, I think, how they operate in free agency and then I think they uh, Bowman needs to go out and, and make some hockey trades like we talked about last week, and he said he wants to do. Yeah, well, like I said, if I'm going to be very aggravated if he doesn't do anything around the draft. Um, I think that's where you can wheel and deal and you can make some mm-hmm. trades. We and said that last year. I, I, I said that, yeah. I was pissed. I was fuming because I knew that they were not going to do anything uh, after they didn't do anything at the draft. That's you're, You don't make your moves like – you make your free agent moves on July 1st. You make your trades at the, at the draft, or at least most of them. And he did nothing at the draft. And that's what infuriated me, because I thought they could have taken that pick that they used for Bodan and packaged that in somewhere with something to make a move, to make some kind of move to make the team better. And they didn't do any of it. They just they just stood pat, made their picks, and went home for the day. And uh, Yeah, they could have traded up and gotten Brady Kachuk. Anything. I mean, you know, even if they traded that first round pick and and at the time maybe Anisimov or whoever, um, you know, that was that was on the block for them, uh, maybe it was Nick Schmaltz at the time. I don't know. Uh, you you could have packaged them together and got something, got a defenseman or something. Who knows? But they didn't do anything, and that's why I was furious about it. So anyway, moving on a little bit. Uh, the Blackhawks made a signing today. We don't have a whole lot of information on this guy. Um, except for stat lines, but um, they signed Reese Johnson, who plays for the Red Deer Rebels or Red Deer, yeah, Red Deer Rebels, right? Yeah. Uh, and he play, they play, he plays with uh, wait, Kevin Hagel. Is that his name? Ryan. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 guy they signed a little earlier this year uh, from Red Deer as well. So. Uh, and also ex-Blackhawk Brent uh, Sutter is their coach. So um, this guy, from what I, they've been reporting him as a forward, um, but Brent Sutter specifically said he's a right-handed center. And um, he knows that the Blackhawks need centers. He mentioned that. I posted the video right before we started recording. But um, so take it for what it is. That's coming directly from his current hockey coach that, um, Reese Johnson is a right-handed center. So, and he seems to be, he's a little bigger than, you know, the typical Blackhawks, you know, five foot nine or five foot 10. He's like six one. He's a little bigger, maybe more towards the, you know, uh, Ryan Strom, uh, Dylan Strom, sorry, Dylan Strom. than uh, you know, Nick Schmaltz or whatever. 
So I don't know. We don't we don't know what we're going to get out of him. Uh, you know, he's having a really good year. He's a captain on his uh, junior team. So um, he, I, I, you know, I just think he's probably going to end up being one of those guys that's, uh, you know, more of an AHL player. Uh, kind of maybe in between, kind of like what Connor Moynihan signed up, uh, you know, ended up as. You know, they may use him a little bit in Rockford, a little bit in Indy. I think that's, uh, you know, kind of what you're going to get out of that guy. But then, you know, then again, you know, they signed, uh, you know, Matthew Highmore a couple of years ago, and he was kind of a semi-unknown player, and that turned out real well. So, you know, even though he's injured this year, he's, you know, he was he's he had potential to make the Blackhawks at the beginning of the year. So, you guys, any any other uh, Reese Johnson tidbits? I no, I don't. Uh, I'm not a repository of Reese Johnson information. I regret to say, Aaron. Nothing to defer to our major junior specialist, Ron Luce. <laughs> he, he's going to be uh, heading, uh, doing a lot of research on Reese Johnson for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> I think we should. I think we should find a a dedicated Reese Johnson writer for the rink. dot com. Why yeah. not? <laughs> now you're talking craziness. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all need to take a hit at this, Jeffrey. It'll calm you down. <laughs> so anyway, um, talked about all the playoff stuff. Uh, we wanted to poke a little fun at the uh, NBCSN poll that they put up uh, earlier this week. Uh, I, I had a comment on it. It was, uh, what concerns you most about the Blackhawks defensemen? And it was uh, grit, scheme, speed, or personnel, and uh, gladly personnel won which is what it is, even though uh, people want to argue about it. Um, it's personnel. I mean, uh, they were bad. The The funny part about this is it's totally scheme. It's totally this terrible coach who has no, no experience. This team was just as bad with Joe Quenville in a different scheme. They, ha- they, no. they haven't gotten any better. They switched schemes to a different scheme. And they've been just as bad. They've been equally bad with two different schemes. Now tell me how it could be the scheme or the coach. It can't be. It's the personnel. The personnel has been the only constant here. It's, it is the personnel. And I, it, it's, you know, it's interesting. If I don't know if you guys have, have been reading some of Duncan Keith's quotes of late, but he's uh, Keith is pretty much calling it like for what it is. And, you know, and I, I think it's great personally. I mean, um, you know, he's, Keith has never been, you know, the happy, happy, joy, joy kind of guy anyway. Um, and he will call out teammates and, and, uh, in kind of a, a dry way. And, um, you know, he's just like, yeah, this, you know, no, we're not playing well. Um, they can talk about how we're playing well, but we're not playing, we're not really playing well. And, um, you know, that's the benefit of having a guy who's won three Stanley cups and a con Smythe and two Norris trophies. He knows what playing well means, you know, even if he is on the downside of his career. And, uh, um, yeah, I, I just, I, I think it's, it's, it's good that he's saying it. Yeah. It's, it, it aggravates me to, to see things like that. People are so sure that it's because of this awful head coach that the, the Blackhawks brought in who's inexperienced. And no, I don't think he's, I don't think he's done a bad job, but no. according to them, it's all Jeremy Calton's fault that the defense has fallen apart. How is that possible if he wasn't well, even the head coach it, 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 and they were yeah. just as bad less than, what, four months ago? Yeah. 
It doesn't I, make any it's, sense. It's not Collins' fault. It's, no, it's it not. wasn't really Q's fault. The no. the truth of the matter is, and and the records prove it. The team wasn't good under Q, and it has not been good under Collins. And I, you know, I think one thing that that has improved the team under Collins is that Bowman made a couple of tra- a couple of trades. You know, he sent the the human pylon, uh, Brandon Manning, to Edmonton so they could send him to the AHL. And he got Kajula, who's a serviceable player, brings some energy and can play up and down the lineup. And then he traded smoking Nick Schmaltz for for Dylan Strom, who's, you know, provided a real spark. They've got a they've got a good second line now. That's that's the the improvement in this team. Yeah. Um, and that's personnel. You know, yeah. so it, it it's it is all about the personnel. And and you know, the bottom line is is you know, this defense, Duck and Keith is still the best defenseman out there for the Hawks. And he's, you know, thirty-five going thirty-six years old, and definitely not what he used to be. Um, and after him, it's it gets you know it gets real barren real fast. Yeah, the Badlands. <laughs> Aaron, you got anything to say about that? Uh, I'm pretty sure I came up with a new nickname for Drake Kajula. What's that? Uh, Kajula Oblongata. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's good. So we have to add to the soundboard the something's wrong with his Kajula Oblongata. <laughs> Uh, I might just pull that clip out of the out of the podcast and just play that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have to say. Yeah, that's good. It's uh, yeah, it, it's silliness to, to to attribute it to anything else. I mean, attribute it to speed. I mean, they Duncan Keith's pretty fast. I mean, Eric Gustafson's pretty fast. Uh, Gustav Forsling's pretty fast. Um, they've got fast players on defense, so it's not speed. It's the matter of the personnel uh, overall. So, and grit. <laughs> uh, someone, someone, someone jokingly said that Aaron must have uh, voted all 23% on the grit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's Mario. Yeah. <laughs> well, the only thing I have to say about that is I think there's just not really that commitment to defense anymore. Like I'm not trying to rag on Eric Gustafson. I'm not trying to uh, go ahead out, but Every time he's like in front of a shot that's coming, clapper or not, you could see this cringe on his face. It's almost like he looks to the side and just kind of shrinks up his shoulders. And I don't know. It's just, I think there are a few guys. I think Brent Seabrook can definitely, definitely jumps in front of pucks and, and has his share of block shots, but the overall commitment of that unit to play defense is it's just not there. And the, I don't think the, the, the forwards are committed. I don't think there are that many two way forwards um, on the team right now that really are focusing on, on that. But, you know, it's just like business that a lot of people don't see a dollar saved is just as good as a dollar earned and preventing a goal is just as good as scoring one. Yeah. And we're just, we're just not in that mindset of keeping the puck out of the net like it's like there's no tomorrow. And that's also hard to watch. But until there's players and a unit on that on that team that really just refuses to let pucks get to the goaltender, it's it's going to be like this. Yeah. All right. Well, that's enough for the NBCSM poll. Um, let's take a quick break. We'll come back. Uh, we'll write to uh, Evans' uh, indie report. 
then we will wrap up with questions and we'll get out of here. So here we go. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, welcome back to the Indie Fuel Report here on the Rink Cast. Um, if we jump right in here, we got a couple minor topics here before we go to the topic of the ECHL trade deadline, which is tomorrow. But before we get to that, um, big topic here in the uh, Indie Fuel world. Forward Anthony Collins uh, was just suspended by the ECHL for eight games after he left the bench at the end of the game on Sunday against the Toledo Walleye. It was a play in front of the net. Zach Miskovic skated up, kind of bear-hugged Walleye goaltender Caden Fulcher. And a uh, a scrum broke out in front of the net. Both Alex Brooks and Anthony Collins left the bench, but Collins was the one to uh, get suspended. He was assessed 25 minutes and penalties on the play, I believe. Uh, 10-minute game misconduct uh, for leaving the bench. A 10-minute game misconduct for aggressor and 5 minutes for fighting. Um, the, uh, suspensions came, he got five games for leaving the bench, two games for being an aggressor in the final five minutes, and a game for continuing the altercation. So he will miss the, uh, Fuel's next eight games. They only have 12 remaining, so he will miss eight of their last 12 games, will participate in the final four games of the season. Um, he doesn't make a huge offensive contribution on a, uh, right, on a regular basis. He's got one assist in 30 games. So he shouldn't be a huge blow to the Fuel's playoff run, but we will lose a, uh, the Fuel will lose a little bit of uh, energy in their play. So uh, we'll have to make up for that. We'll get into the uh, some of the people we we got to uh, make up for that in the trade deadline topic. But uh, another thing, just kind of throwing out there, uh, the Fuel are currently sitting in last place in the Central Division ahead of the uh, playoff run here in the final stretch of the season. Uh, a lot of that has been kind of, they've been playing at 500 all year, which is not going to cut it in this division. Uh, the Central Division is a very, very tough division. I would argue one of the, if not the toughest division in the ECHL. Um, yeah, second most goals allowed in the division, second least goals scored in the division. But onto the uh, the major topics now. Uh, tomorrow is the ECHL trade deadline. Um, the few have already made a bunch of trades here in the past month a couple month month and a half maybe um so if they are going to make any moves tomorrow it would be some minor moves if anything at all um but we'll go in chronological order here a lot of these moves were made to improve the defense which supply and demand trades kind of we had to give up a lot of scoring to get defense but we haven't had any trouble scoring josh shell has got 25 goals we've got ryan rupert who's over 50 points he's our leading point scorer he's got uh, 30 assists on the year and they, uh, the Ruber brothers both have 19 goals on the season. So losing some scoring wasn't a huge deal, but we really needed to improve our defense, which is exactly what Bernie John did in these trades. But we'll go in chronological order here. Um, this is a, a kind of a weird trade. We got um, deep goaltender Gordon Dayfield from the South Carolina Stingrays, and that was a future considerations trade where we later sent uh, Miles Liberati, defenseman Miles Liberati, to the Stingrays. Liberati hadn't played in a little while with the Fuel. He had kind of been scratched, and we finally gave him up for goaltender Gordon Dayfield, who replaced a struggling Jason Pulaski, who we would later release from his contract. He uh, he played for the Ice, 
while Bernie John was an assistant, so he kind of had Indiana ties, which is probably one of the reasons we signed him at the beginning of the year before we got Matt Tompkins from the Rockford Ice Hogs. So Gordon Dayfield has been backing up Tompkins in net. Uh, the second trade in this chronological sequence here, um, we sent Avery. Then this is a uh, three-team trade here. We sent Avery Peterson to the Atlanta Gladiators. This is a three-team trade between the Fuel, the Atlanta Gladiators, and the Toledo Walleye. We sent Avery Peterson to the Atlanta Gladiators. The Toledo Walleye sent Daniel Levins to the Gladiators, and Toledo ended up getting Ben Danford from Atlanta. And the Fuel got Samuel Tebow, who was originally with Toledo. He got sent to Atlanta and then got sent to the Fuel through that funnel. So we got a defenseman there. And I think this is probably one of the most underrated trades the Fuel have made all year. Uh, Tebow has been a very serviceable, consistent D-man on the back end with us. And we basically got him for an extra forward that we had on reserve a lot of the time. He played a couple games, got in a fight. I think he uh, notched a goal at some point during the season. Um, but yeah, he only played a few games with us, and then we got a serviceable D-man, basically from Toledo, for that. Um, after that, we signed defenseman Zane Schartz from the Norfolk Admirals. He's been pretty consistent this year. He's got an even rating, a, a pair of assists, and eight games played with the Fuel so far. Been scratched a little bit, but, uh, yeah, he's been serviceable, as has Tebow on the back end. And then we get into the meat of the trades here. If we're going, we're still going in chronological order, but then uh, a string of moves were made, which really changed the outlook of this team. We uh, traded defenseman Robert Powers to the Worcester Railers for forward Woody Hudson. Uh, Powers had been, you know, uh, I think he was minus 20 before we traded him, so that's obviously not what you want on a, uh, a back end of a team trying to make a playoff run, so, you know, we had to give up some defense there, but... He was more of an offensive-minded defenseman. He had more of that um, playmaking scoring game. And we uh, brought in Woody Hudson, who had been with us before he made a a small stint with us a couple years ago at the end of the season and was a fan favorite in the games he was here. He uh, played for the Indiana Ice of the USHL before he came to us. So he was was known around the Indy area before he came to the Fuel. But I I find Woody Hudson as a two-edged sword, if you will. He's been around in the past. He's got a physical, gritty game to him. Well, is not afraid to mix it up. He's not afraid to smack talk the opponent, if you will, uh, after whistles in front of the net. He's just kind of that guy, that, that little pest you have on the ice when you need him. He's been playing with the uh, the Rupert brothers on the first line, actually. So, And he can score. He's He's got a solid plus rating with us so far this year. Notched a couple of assists, especially in Wichita. He had a three, four assist game in his first game with us. So he fit in quite nicely right away. Then the uh, one of the biggest trades of the year was we traded forward Kevin Dufour, who is one of our leading scorers, our uh, close to the leading goal scorer before we traded him. He had 19 goals in the year, but we traded him to the North Division, to the Manchester Monarchs, for defenseman Eric Scherhammer and forward Zeb Knutsen. Uh, Scherhammer was at Rockford's Rockford Ice Hogs training camp this past offseason. He uh, actually engaged in a fight in the Sunday game in Toledo before the big brawl happened that led to Collins's eight-game suspension. But he engaged in a fight in front of the net with known Toledo enforcer Brian Moore and a 5 to nothing blowout in that game. So that says a lot about Scherhammer's character, about how he's not going to take any crap. He's going to stick up for his teammates. He's going to not take 5 nothing blowouts every night. 
Kennington's only played in two games so far with the field, so not much to report on with him. He's got double-digit points, and that all came; those all came from the Monarchs in Manchester. Our next trade could be another one of the best trades John has made so far this year. We traded for Quentin Shore for defenseman Travis Brown, but we actually traded Shore for Brown's ECHL rights as he was currently in the AHL with the San Antonio Rampage at the time. Brown is a very offensive-minded D-man, much like Robert Powers was before we gave him up, but he's got a lot of speed. Brown's got speed, and he's a great power play specialist, double-digit power play points, uh, five power play goals, seven power play assists uh, on the year. He's got a game winner, 10 goals, 10 assists, and 31 games. He's very, he's a very consistent D-man on the back end. Our second highest uh, point score as a defenseman behind Alex ECHL All-Star Alex Brooks. Brooks luckily did not get suspended, by the way, in that fricass that led to Collins' A-game suspension. Brooks did come off the bench during that. Only got a He got a game, game misconduct on the play, but no suspension handed down by ECHL player safety. Uh, the trade after that, uh, one of the, the last trades that we have made was uh, completing future considerations from the beginning of the year when we traded goaltender Etienne Marcou, who was a big factor in the Fuel's inaugural playoff run last year, played all four playoff games against the Walleye in the first round of the Kelly Cup playoffs last year. Uh, unfortunately, Reggie Tresito, who we uh, acquired from Brampton for Marco, he did not report. He was a defenseman that we were bringing in, but he did not report. Marco was sent to Brampton at the end of the offseason as a... Uh, future considerations trade but that is really where the fuel stand at this point they are on the outside looking in of the central division playoff run right now they were at one point third place but there is still hockey left to play they are still they're not out of it by any means they're four points out of a playoff spot with a game in hand on fifth place wheeling who's got 61 points and the fuel currently are sitting at 57 points at 27 27 2 and 1 Four and six in their last ten games and lost at their last game in Toledo on Sunday, as was previously said. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me, guys, and we'll send it back to you guys. Okay, all right. Thank you, Evan. Thank you, sponsors. And we're back for questions. I'm going to wrap this up and get out of here. Um, first question from Sean, who is Shawnee Cash on Twitter. Bowman will stay as a GM, which I don't approve, but I can't see Wirtz, uh, Blunt, McDonough do nothing, even if it's just to throw a smokescreen. What move in the personnel could you see them make? Maybe bring in a new assistant GM, assistant coach. I know it's stupid, but I can see that happening with that group. I mean, I, I think unless they decide to hire another assistant coach, I don't know that they're going to. I think maybe they're going to stick with this coaching staff and uh, let Colleton work throughout the summer. So if anything, I don't know that they make any back office moves. I don't think, I think they're going to stick with what they got. What do you guys think? Yeah, I, I, I don't foresee any, any big moves. I mean, they're kind of all in the lifeboat together, you know? I mean, I don't know. I'm not a, I'm not a, uh, a big believer in the, um, leadership of John McDonough. Um, I, 
I think that, you know, if, if he's under serious threat or imminent threat from above, he will throw Bowman under the bus in a heartbeat, but it doesn't feel like that's the case. Um, and, uh, you know, I think this, this front office has made decisions as a group and as a committee. And I think that they recognize that and, and to, to their credit, they're probably not going to blame any one person for it beyond Joel Quinville. <laughs> um, <laughs> Uh, so I, I don't. I just don't foresee them uh, making all that. And furthermore, I mean, I don't know. I mean, Bowman's record since mm, I guess the first of the year. Um, I, I don't. I can't recall when exactly the Schmaltz trade was made. But I mean, Bowman's. I don't know. I feel like he's he's made a couple of good moves in a row. I think he's saying the right things. I think the fact that they're talking about the fact that you know the fact that they're best prospect is still probably a couple of years away. I like the honesty. Um, that's what I've wanted from this team is I wanted them to be honest about where they are and stop trying to fool the fans and, and, you know, stir up the meatballs. And quite honestly, I don't think it's the team that's stirring up the meatballs as much as it's the media that's stirring up the meatballs and, and some bloggers. Um, uh, the team seems to me to being a, a little more realistic. I think the ticket people tend to, you know, get out over their skis and want to, you know, jazz things up to sell some tickets, et cetera. But I think, I don't know, we went through it last week and I urge you if, if you're listening now and you did not listen to last week's episode, go back and listen to it. And we kind of line by line unpack some, some Stan Bowman um, dialogue with John Dietz of the Daily Herald. And in it, I think Bowman really lays it out and he's, he does so honestly and, and all fans need to go back and listen to that and think about it and understand this team's a couple of years away, probably from any kind of serious contention. Uh, the eight game winning streak was an aberration. It's the exception, not the rule. The rule is more 500 hockey at best right now, but that doesn't mean it can't be better next year. But again, I think that, I think that Bowman's, probably done enough to to give himself a little more room um and i i just hope he keeps doing the things the way he's been doing them of late because then there's there is some hope for the future aaron yeah i really don't see anything happening um i think the the move that rocky was talking about was moving on from joel quinville which was a massive change I mean, that, that shocked the fan base. It's really sad. And I think the next big sad thing for the fan base is seeing Joel Quinville return behind the Philadelphia Flyers bench. That's going to be tough, too. But, no, I, I really don't see any sort of uh, front office. Um, I think they give front office change. I think they give Jeremy Colleton another, another go. Um, they're not a bottom feeder to say they're about what they were last year. So, you know, give Bowman a shot to spend some money and continue developing. But I think the, the biggest thing that Stan Bowman recognized over the last year or two and is changing is how younger players are developing and how they're cycled through the system mm -hmm. to get to the NHL. There's a lot more transactions they're trying to avoid having Mark McNeil's and Philip Deneau's fizzle out um, and in Rockford. I think you're going to see a lot of players get tryouts. Um, I, I think you might even see a guy who's struggled in the AHL, but it was a top prospect, Graham Knott. I think he might even get the ice. Oh, just, God. <laughs> you got to just th start throwing these guys out there and see what they have. They got to be able to contribute something. But 
yeah, guys are cycling from Indy to Rockford to Chicago, and um, they're signing their college players. So I, I, I think they're trying to avoid guys getting stuck um, in the system. So they're doing a good job in that regard. But, yeah, I, I really just don't see any bigger moves happening. I think that the biggest one was Q. Yeah. All right, Johnny Utah asks, how do the Blackhawks find the next Keith, Seabrook, and Bufflin? Should management move on from Crawford? I think uh, Artem Anisimov gets moved this summer, and I know you guys don't want to field any more questions about my boy Panarin. So what are the top three moves you see management make? I mean, I, I think we kind of really addressed this. I mean, how do you find the next Keith, Seabrook, and Bufflin? Uh, well, I mean, Boquist could be the next Keith, possibly, but uh, with some work. Um Seabrook and Bufflin, I mean, they're not they're not drafting those kind of players. They're just not. So you're the only way you're going to get those kind of players is to trade for them. And uh, that's what we've been advocating for. So uh, should yeah, be. I, I'd love to see them get a young Brett Seabrook or, or and or a young Nicholas Jalmerson um, to round out their defense going forward. Um, I think that's I think they need that. Jacob Truba, um, Colton Pareko, those kind of players. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we were talking about it in one of our chats today, you know, Jacob Slavin, um, see if you could, you know, pry a, a Josh Manson out of a rebuilding Anaheim team or a, um, Adam Larson out of a needing to rebuild Edmonton team. I mean, these are, you know, probably long shots, but those types of players, um, a couple one or two of those types of players added into the, you know, the, the smaller, faster puck rushing guys that they have in abundance, um, it could start to really round this thing out and, you know, have a, a partner for a guy like Boakfist when he comes up or in the meantime for a guy like Eric, uh, Eric Gustafson, who can really stabilize that partner, that uh, that pairing, um, you know, not unlike, you know, Jalmerson did for Brian Campbell back in 2009, um, you know, but it's probably, you know, they're probably going to have to do that by a trade. Bufflin, Seabrook and Keith were all acquired through the draft. Uh, Seabrook was a first round pick. I believe he was taken about 13th overall. You know, he was considered a, you know, legit, you know, higher end of the first round draft pick in his year. Keith was a late second round pick. Um, uh, you know, he was sort of a tweener. He had played some forward coming up and he had played some defense. He was very small. He's about 165 pounds. Um, and, uh, Bufflin was picked late. He was picked like in the ninth round, which they don't even have anymore. And he was, you know, a fat kid playing for, I believe, for the Chicago Steel um, at that time. And, uh, you know, but the, th the thing that all three of those guys had, that Jonathan Taves has, that, Mar that, that Marion Hosa had, um, it, it just Nicholas Jalmerson had, or has really, really high-end competitiveness and desire to be the best. And I know it sounds like a cliche, but those are the guys you got to go find because – those guys, whether they're 170 pounds or they're 270 pounds, they're the guys that you're going to win with. You know, I mean, that's the thing with this team that I, I really question that the personnel group that they have now, they don't have any killers out there. Right. Any killers. I mean, I'm not talking guys who are going out to take people's heads off. Yeah. But guys were just so competitive. Patrick Kane. Yes. Jonathan Taves. Yes. Like Brent Seabrook um, in his prime. He was like a bulldozer. Yeah. I call them yeah. bulldozers. Like they'll clear out the front. They're just a physical presence. You know who was who was who was one of those players? 
John Madden. Yeah. You just yeah, look at Madden that guy. He's a very competitive guy. and Tough uh, as nails. Like, he was crucial in that first cup. Yeah. You know, uh, but another another defenseman, too, is like Brett Pesci from uh, Carolina. 6'3", 200 and almost 10 pounds, 24 years old. Big guy, plays good, solid defense. Like, I know they think very highly of him, but, um, you know, maybe you could pry him out of there. I don't know. But like I mentioned before, Pareko, Pesci, uh, you know, uh, someone like that or Truba, that's what they need. You get yeah. a player like that, that is a game changer for that defense. And that makes that uh, that immediately fixes that back end. Not 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 fully fixes them, but makes them a lot better. No, you get a really legitimate, more stay-at-home type guy who's physical, will block shots, uh, you know, will engage around the net and and do. I mean, you know, uh, it's, occasionally the hawk announcers will call it out. You got you got guys around the front of the net, but they're not doing anything. They're just they're just being another screen. Yeah. You know, and that's been going on for years. Um, you know, that's so it's it's yeah, I but you get that guy, then you you can create a pairing. You can create a really effective p- a pairing with some of the other guys. And then, you know, Murphy and and let's say um, what's his name? Uh, Dahlstrom. They can be a nice third third pairing for you, which is probably what they should be. You know, um, you could slot guys where they're supposed to be, but you got to have the talent. You've got to have the top four talent in order to be able to slot all the guys where they should be. Yeah. Uh, I, I, as far as moves go, though, I, I while I'd like to see them make, you know, like we, we just spoke about, I I just don't have the faith that, that they are going to do it. They haven't shown me that they they're going to do that. Um, you know, other the, the other moves they made, like, you know, trading Panarin and trading Jummerson, those were like self-preservation moves. You know, it was like we didn't think we were going to be able to sign this guy. So, you know, we're, we're preserving ourselves and not losing this guy for nothing. It wasn't to make the team better. I honestly, it, it, neither one of those moves was. So, like, making a move like that this summer to bring in, like, a high-end, younger defenseman, bigger, that they don't have, is something they need. You know, they really do need it, but I just can't see them doing it. I honestly just don't believe they can. I think they should. I'd be glad as hell. My hopes are that they do it, but uh, my, my uh, you know, my brain tells me that, that that they won't do it. You know, you, they'll trade Anisam off after he gets his bonus, and they'll just do a couple of you know here or th- here or there moves, and and uh, we're gonna start getting fed that uh, you know Adam Bolquist at prospect camp videos to to you know satiate the meatballs, and we'll be right back where we were this year if they, if they do that. So could be, could be. I don't know. I I think Bowman's gonna gonna going to be aggressive on the trade market and uh i hope he is i really do yeah i mean that, I, that I, chaos I, that chaos is, is would excite me you know i i want to i want to see something 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 big happen that's positive you know the big things that happened before or we're all kind of thought it you know while we understood it we're looked at as kind of negatives you know trading panarin away and trading johnson away even though we understood why they made the moves they yeah. weren't necessarily positive so Anyway, next one, Matt Ahearns. Um, I'd really like the Blackhawks to try and some, sign some RFAs to offer sheets, strategically like Kapanen uh, from, the, from Toronto or other RFAs. 
on teams that are at the cap. Any chance of that? Uh, my answer is no. Not because it can't happen, because it just doesn't happen. People don't people don't offer sheet. They're afraid. They're afraid of hurting other people's feelings, whatever. But uh, they just don't do it. They're they're afraid that if they make an offer sheet for someone, then someone's gonna target them next when they're in a in a bad place. And it, it's all a bunch of chicken shits out there. I'm sorry, but uh, that's what it is. What do you think, John? Yeah, and I, the other thing is too is that the you know you offer sheets typically happen with very high end players who are happen to be at RFA and and are typically are at odds with their teams and. More and more general managers are, you know, managing those situations before they become acute. Um, I think a recent um, example where it became acute was with, you know, the Brandon Saad situation in 2015. But Bowman was clearly over a barrel in terms of the cap and, you know, trying to figure out what to do. And and uh, I'm not making excuses for him because I think he learned some painful lessons back then about being more proactive as far as ca- as far as cap management and um, getting you know free agents or RFAs taken care of from that particular situation. Um, but uh, you know it's just the the number of picks that the Hawks would have to give up to get a you know for, if, if for after writing an offer sheet and getting it accepted. They're in a, a team in their position can't afford to do that. They need those picks and they need to hit on those picks. Um, you know, if you've got to give up two or three first round picks to get to get a player, one player who you're probably going to end up having to overpay as well, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Aaron, anything? Yeah, I, I think offer sheeting is just uh, kind of a thing of the past. I, you'd think that teams with money would do it to maybe rivals within their division just to stick it to them. Cause you know that they'll have to resign them and put them in a bad spot. But I just don't think that really happens because people don't have that much money to spend anymore. And the people that the teams that do don't really want to spend it. So for screwing over other teams and, um, and really just trying to get a good player and what you have to give up, like John said, it just, I don't really see it happening. I mean, I I was really psyched with that Shea Weber one with Nashville and Philadelphia. That would have been amazing, but uh, Nashville ended up signing and then ultimately trading um, Shea Weber. But uh, yeah, I just we haven't seen that recently. But I I'd love to see it again. Well, the same thing happened with your Avalanche with uh, Ryan O'Reilly when he signed with Calgary. He signed the offer sheet with Calgary. You know what was it five years ago or something like that? Maybe longer than that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it just, it, it, when it happens, they end up just matching anyway. Um, and it's a lot of, and, and something else too, that you have to keep into, you, you have to take into account is you have to, you have to have the actual draft picks, meaning your draft picks that are the compensation that go back. If the player, um, you know, if, if they don't match the deal. So say, you know, the Blackhawks were to say, and I'm not, and this is just an example because I know he's not an RFA. Say Artemi Panarin was an RFA. They were to go sign him to whatever deal it is based on the salary. I think they would, uh, I don't know the, I don't have the breakdown in front of me, but I believe it's like two or three first round picks you have to have. I think it's two first round picks of your own that you have to then send over to the other team as compensation for this. So the Blackhawks would have to have like, their first round draft pick this year and their first round draft pick next year. They couldn't give them like one that they acquired by trade or anything like that. So 
if you don't have that, you can't even really offer an offer sheet anyway, or you would have to go back and reacquire your previous draft pick that you had traded away to be able to make that happen, which is very unlikely. And uh, so that's why it makes RFAs a little bit messier too. You have to be able, you have to actually have the compensation to be able to offer it. Um, so that's another thing. Um, <clears throat> Mr. Bandow said, uh, what prospects, if any, do we see get tryouts at the end of the season before finishing up in Rockford for the playoffs? Um, I don't know what exactly, if he means like guys from Rockford coming up the, to the Blackhawks or guys coming from like, you know, junior and uh, college to play with Rockford or the Blackhawks, uh, or maybe, maybe it encapsulates all of them. Uh, Aaron, uh, since you're you're more of the NCAA prospect guy, uh, you want to start off with this? What do you think? Yeah, we talked about this before, but I really think uh, it's a really opportune time for Evan Barrett to sign, and I think he might get that seven to nine game tryout at the end of the season to see what he's made of. But it really depends on if Penn State gets into the Frozen Four, and if they get if they get to the Frozen Four, like the final t- championship. Um, he may not be eligible to play, um, but some of the seniors that are graduating that are still under um, the Blackhawks still have their rights. Fred Olofsson um, with Omaha, uh, Bo Star with Cornell, Liam Coughlin with Vermont, Jack Ramsey out of Minnesota, um, and then a couple juniors. Chad Chris may come out. We'll see. Um, and then Ryan Shea out of Northeastern. So out of the NCAA guys, I think Barrett is probably one of the guys, if he's, you know, whatever his agent, I, I don't even know if they have agents at this time. I'm pretty sure they do because they've been drafted. Um, if his agent thinks, hey, this is the best shot we're going to have, you're rolling this year, let's just do it, make the jump, get him out of there. Um, I think you can see him, Olofsson for sure. I mean, they've been scouting and giving him advice for years. I've seen Hawks, um, you know, personnel out in Denver to go see him play when they play Denver. So I think Olsen will be another guy that makes the jump, but I really don't know about Bo Starrett. Um, you know, we've watched him at prospect camp a couple years, but he's never really been uh, a, a breakout points guy. Well, he's a huge, huge centerman, but, um, you know, he just hasn't really panned out in college for being a star player. Um, but then one guy I really want to see um, hopefully get a deal is Jack Ramsey. He's also not a points guy, and I'm collaborating with Mario Tirabasi on a kind of a who could be helping out the Blackhawks and the Ice Hogs in the future. And Jack Ramsey's been a favorite of mine for a while. He's a big leadership guy, a bottom six depth type player, but I think the Blackhawks could really use somebody like him. So uh, I can't really speak to Rockford on who's going to come up, but definitely keep your eyes on Evan Barrett and where he finishes in the frozen four. And, um, you know, hopefully we get to see a little glimpse of him because that's the type of player that could really bring some excitement to the locker room. John, you got anything you think? No, uh, Drew LeBlanc is playing in the German elite league. <laughs> I just want to bring that to everybody's attention. He's out there. He's, you know, the YouTubes are out there. You can check those out and see what you think. Yeah, well, you know, that's just like uh, your opinion, man. <laughs> yeah, hey, Jim Vandermeer just got, uh, you know, on the Puck Soup podcast. Uh, 
he, he's playing over in that uh elite. the dundee stars and <laughs> uh the uh what, what is it the great britain hockey league it's the, it's called like the elite hockey league or something like that but it's eihl or something but it's it's not english hockey league it's elite hockey league um it is elite i mean come on jim vandermeer plays in it <laughs> i know he's like 40 he's like my age uh, <laughs> probably still can't cross over with one of his legs too <laughs> All right, and speaking of prospects, we this will parlay into our girl, Jackie Davis. She always has good questions. Uh, her question was, can we be done with the Sakura experiment? Oh, Aaron's going <laughs> to love this one. All that hype from Bowman at the start of the season, and I have not been pressed. What do you guys see moving forward for the new season? Rockford, or does he make the team because, you know, Bowman said he's the guy. Um, I'm not a big fan of Dylan Sakura right now. I don't... Uh, like while he you know, was great in prospect camp and stuff, uh, he just hasn't. He, he's he's only shown to be like basically, you know, uh, that AHL good AHL player, but not good enough to play in the NHL type player like uh, TJ Brennan or uh, Martin uh, Saint Pierre, that kind yeah. of thing. I mean, yeah. that's right. But he's you know. While he's not as young as, say, you know, 21 years old, um, he, he's still a little old. Yeah, he's still a little older, um, you know, but this is only like his first full year in the, you know, pro leagues. So you can't really write. I don't think you can necessarily really write him off just yet. Uh, he's going to be an RFA. Bowman's going to be able to get him at a steal of a deal to hang on to him. So, uh, I mean, you put all that time and effort into him. You waited for him to get out of college. Why not just qualify him and give him, you know, bring him to camp. If you make the team, you make the team. If you don't, you're going to probably end up in Rockford. And he may be, you know, a lifetime Rockforder. He may be Jeremy Morin, you know. But, um, you know, sometimes you need those players in the system. Uh, I don't think it hurts. But um, he's definitely not the 60-point player that some of the meatballs uh, that, uh, you know, they had predicted, right? Yeah. I, again, we've said it here before, but that's, I think that's a quote that Stan, Stan Bowman would love to take back. Um, I, I did, but again, you know, he's, listen, he could, a year from now, he could be, you know, a really productive player, you know, when he puts on a little weight perhaps and gets a little more confident, um, more willing to go into the high traffic areas, get his nose a little dirty, um, not to use cliches, but, that seems to be what's missing from his game right now. He seems very timid, very, very contact averse. Um, and he's basically a, a perimeter nobody right now as far as NHL hockey. Um, you know, but it's also a really good case in point or case study for the fact that Johnny Godro aside and, and a few guys here and there, um, college hockey is a different game than, than pro hockey. And a lot of times these guys do need a little time, um, in the AHL before they come up to the NHL to get it, to get used to what is a much more physical game where you can't go into the slot unmolested when you weigh 170 pounds and stick handle around. And I remember watching tape of, of, uh, Sakura his last year at Northeastern and you know he was just like going everywhere on the ice and nobody was touching him and you know getting points and getting shots off and I remember saying to myself he's not going to be able to do that in the NHL because they just won't let him that that ice isn't there 
And, you know, that's kind of what's happening. He's, he's really a perimeter player right now and just kind of always on the periphery of the action. And uh, it remains to be seen if he's going to make that jump. I think he might. He, he can really skate. Um, he's He seems to have some some nice nifty little, uh, you know, hooks in his game, um, you know, in terms of what he, what he recognizes and sees offensively, but, but translating that into results so far as it has eluded him. Aaron. Um, <laughs> Are you wiping your tears? Yeah. Uh, You're a secure well, guy. So I, I'm, I'm going to take the high road. I'm not going to bash major junior. Uh, but I, you know, I just think that on a hockey team, there are only a few guys that can carry the puck into the zone and be the guy that's controlling the puck. It's going to be Patrick Kane and, you know, Dylan Strom or whoever, Alex DeBrinkett on that second line. And it, we've had this situation so many times of guys that come from their college teams or their junior teams where they were the top line guys and then they're forced into playing a third-line checking role. And guess what? They're bad at it. Right. They yeah, never did that their whole career. And but he's also – but, Aaron, he's also not doing enough to, to bump Dylan or uh, Drake Kajula down, who's really more of a bottom six player. Uh, I really think yeah. they, they like Kajula because he creates space, he's an effort guy, and he's willing to go – get pucks, like you said. Um, well, can, can, can Sakura do that? Is that something that he might be able to do someday? I don't think so. I don't think he's that type of player. Um, well, then he better get a lot more productive. I mean, and, and with somebody else getting him the puck, because he's been playing with, with guys who can go get the puck. Anissa um, off. Yeah, it's odd. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. so He still does I, not have a goal in the NHL. Dylan Sakura. Yeah, I, I'm with you guys. Yeah. His game has not developed. I'm I'm not here to defend anything he's doing. He's still, you know, really uh really green and really new to the NHL. And it's there's a lot less space out there. And you can tell he's skating hard. I think he's really um struggling with the pace. And I think a lot of players do. But you mm-hmm. know, it's also this is his first full season in the NHL. Um, and he's, he's, you know, going riding the bus back and forth between Rockford and, and Chicago. So, you know, this is a guy that they believe in. Give him some time. I mean, I don't think everyone's yeah. ready to throw him under the bus, but, you know, he's a playmaker. He's a guy that can be on the ice regardless of his size. He, he can make plays, but he's not the guy that's going to be a burner on your third line. That's just not yeah. who he is. And to judge him be, because of his play in that situation, I think is a little unfair, but you know, if they decide to part ways with him, I, I think they might be sorry. He's only 22 right. years old, but yeah, like like you guys said, give give him another year or two, um, qualify him, and see what happens. Yeah, just keep him in the system. It's not like he's taking ice time away from uh, you know a future Hall of Famer. <laughs> you know, I mean, the lower lines of the Blackhawks is basically uh, <sighs> you know. Um, the land of broke of misfit toys, you know, I mean, Chris Kunitz and Marcus Kruger and, you know, you know, um, it's, so it's, it's fine, you know, um, but hopefully sooner or later the, the light will go on for him. Like I said, he may get, you know, get a little bigger, get a little more confident in his body and, you know, realize that if he's going to stay in the NHL, he's going to have to be a little more assertive and, uh, 
Um, and there's certainly time for that. I, I, to answer Jackie's question, no, I would not end the experiment. I'd keep the experiment going because they really have nothing to lose. They're, they're not going to the playoffs. <laughs> so why not? Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that answers that part. Um, Tom O'Grady, uh, are Debrinket and Strom the next Kane and Taves? I'll answer that one. No. <laughs> question. Yeah, no, they're not. Um, Tom, you asked us to go to dive a little deep on that. I will try to do that. Um, you know, we, we talked a lot at the top of the podcast about Dylan Strom and, you know, what he kind of projects as. Um, and it really is more a second-line center, whereas Jonathan Taves, quite, quite frankly, and I think people kind of take this for granted that, like, guys like him grow on trees, and they don't. I mean, uh, he's been probably overshadowed most of his career by Sidney Crosby and perhaps of late by, you know, Connor McDavid. And, and as he's had a couple of bad years, he's fought some injuries, he's kind of felt fallen off. But, you know, he's a point of game player this year, 56% face-off. He just happens to play on a pretty crappy team. But um, Jonathan Taves has been a, you know, a franchise-level center in his career. I, I just don't think Dylan Strom's going to be that guy. Conversely, you know, Alex DeBrinckit is a scorer. He is a guy who, you know, gets in the scoring position, um, gets that shot off, uses defenders as screens. But after that, he's kind of an average player at best. And the point being, I'll take the 40 goals a year that he gives you, but I would never put him in the same category as a Patrick Kane who can take over games and take over, um, you know, playoff series with his energy and with his competitiveness and just off the chart skill in every aspect of the game. Um, it's it's just a huge stretch to even start to think about those guys being the next Kane or the next Taves. I just it's it's a, it's a, it's certainly an interesting question, but I just don't. I think the answer is no. Yeah, um, I mean, you have to put it into perspective. Patrick Kane is probably uh, the best American-born NHL yeah. player. Yeah, ever. In the, ever. Yeah. Uh, and to say that Alex Debrinkit is not that is no slight on him. Exactly. Because there are a lot of players. There are many thousands of players that are not Patrick Kane. No, and Debrinkit's always, he's going to have a great career, but he's just not going to be the force and uh, the elite type of player that Patrick Kane is. He's, just, he's not going to be. Yeah, I mean, Patrick Kane carried this team on his back through that win streak with his yeah. point streak. Like, he, he just threw him right on his back, and you know, and, and he, he, he plays an incredible amount. He uh, He's just, you know, such a student of the game. He's super skilled. Uh, you know, aside from what you may think of him as a person, uh, those are all facts as far as his, his hockey playing goes. So... Uh, if you're going to get anywhere in that conversation or the comparison, and I, I I may get a little blowback on this. Um, if I was going to say who's going to be closer to the, you know, predecessor, I would say Strom was going to be closer to Taves than Debrinket is to Kane. Yeah. I I don't, I don't agree with that. Just because, you know, uh, Strom could have a long playing the type of game that he plays he could have a long NHL career, long solid NHL career. And I'm not going to say he's going to be Jonathan Taves, but I can say that he well, may like be closer to, closer to Jonathan Taves type than Debrinket will be to a, a Patrick Kane type who is Patrick Kane is, you know, an, 
elite, legendary, all around, you know, setup guy, scorer, quarterback, like everything. I mean, it's so, you know, I, I don't think Dylan Strom is going to be necessarily the first line center of the Blackhawks for a decade, but he would be closer to Taze than Dabrinkit will be to Kane. That's but, there's st- but he's still far from Taze. He's yeah. still going to be Oh, yeah. They're both, for, they're both far from those two. The bottom line, like Aaron said, no, they, they won't be. But that doesn't mean they won't be a really good duo. Right. Don't take that as we were, we're slighting these guys at all because we're not. No, we're just really we're they're very good players. how good the comparators Just are. putting it in per, into perspective, you're talking about two guys who are top 100 NHL players of all time. Right. And to two guys who are still young um, and, and still seem to have holes in their games that the other guys didn't have at that age. That's all. Right. Right. The, the reason why I shut that down so quickly is because not because they're never going to be that good. It's just they're so different. It's so hard to compare. Yeah. And my thing is when I see the Brinkett and I, I think that he's however old he is, 20. What is he? 22. 21, I think. 21. And he's scoring. They're both, they're both 21. Yeah. They're both 21. And Dabrinkit's scoring close to 40 goals in the NHL. Like, that's incredible. Like, that's – if you can have that, I mean, he's pretty much more productive than Patrick Sharp. I mean, yeah. and Patrick yeah. a lot of quality. And, and, yet, and, it's, and yet, I would take a Patrick Sharp in his prime over an Alex Dabrinkit. That's how far I think Dabrinkit is from, from Patrick Kane. I mean, because Patrick Sharp could score 35 goals a year, and he played crazy good defense, and he, you know, he had great speed, and you know, he could kill penalties. I mean, again, I think I think the Hawk fans, these these types of comparisons take for granted how great the teams of the last decade were, and it's going to be a while before we're going to see that again. I'm afraid. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it, people take take Marion Hossa for granted as hard as that oh. is to believe they take Marion Hossa and Patrick Sharp in their primes for granted how yeah. good those players were legendary I mean Patrick Sharp had an excellent Blackhawks career if it wasn't for you know Taze and Kane he'd probably be up there in the elite of the Blackhawks you know legendary Blackhawks he'd probably be up yeah. there considered yeah. but now he'll, he'll be overlooked because of the fact that you know, who he played with, all these great players, just like the 2010 team. So many players you overlook, the Andrew Lads, the, you know, at the time, Bufflin. Uh, you know, there were, there were so many players you overlook and how good that team really was. So, yeah. Anyway, um, the other thing uh, having to do with Taze and Kane was we, we heard today that uh, they may be separated. Carlton is playing around with it. I don't believe it for a second because he's done that before. And Quenville used to do it too, where he'd split them up on the day, you know, the the skate before the game or uh, the skate the day before the game. And uh, then he'd come right out for the game and everything would be right back to normal. So <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen. Um, but I mean, for a majority of their career, they did not play together. So it's not huge. It's not huge news. It's like it's bigger news that they've played as long as they have together this year. Honestly, uh, you guys got anything to say about that part of it? No. Okay, Aaron? No? Yes? Nope, nothing for me. <laughs> Aaron from the bathroom. Okay. Come back, Aaron. <laughs> we apologize for Dylan Secure. We won't, we won't slag him anymore. <laughs> and uh, Aaron added this one. Thank you for adding this for me at the end. 
Tenny Miss Western said, in hindsight, would you have traded Crawford in 2016 when everyone called for his head on a stake? Um, 2016? Maybe. 2015? Uh, that no. summer when, uh, you know, everyone said that, you know, all, all the nonsense with the darling and the da 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 uh, No. Um, maybe in 2016, possibly, if the right... Uh, the right offer came, um, you know, I, I would have understood it. 2015, not so much. Not after winning the Stanley Cup. Not if you were going to turn the keys over to, to Scott Darling. No. I, I was not a believer in Scott Darling. You know, I, not that I, 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 again, I don't hate Scott Darling. I think I liked Scott Darling for what he was. He was a really good backup for the Blackhawks. He had a really good, uh, you know, a really good career with the Blackhawks. But he is what he is, just like the Blackhawks are what they are today. Scott Darling just, you know, he, he, you know, he's taking, he's, he's, he's gone so far backwards that he's, he's had to yeah. take personal time off. And I feel horrible about that. Like that, yeah. no one wants to see that. I mean, the guy is a good guy. He really is. And I had, and, and part of the bad part about all of this is that it, it's, it seems like we have to slag on a guy because people put unrealistic expectations on them instead of just saying, no, this is what the guy is. This is what he is, and he's good at it. But when you throw these unrealistic expectations like they did, Scott Darling could take over the Chicago Blackhawks starting job. Well, you know what? If Scott Darling started, you know, took over the Blackhawks uh, starting job, the results would have been very similar to what happened to him in, in Carolina. That's what would have happened. And then where are you at? You know, you're you're in the rebuild a year earlier than then, you know, than they really were. So, you know, no, it in 2016, maybe, uh, you know, it, like you said, if the right deal was there, you know, he's getting up there. Uh, you, you you might be able to get something of value for him. I, I wouldn't have been. And I like Corey Crawford a lot, but you maybe you could have got something for him and trade a guy. Brian Burke brings this up all the time and you can hate on Brian Burke all you want, but trade a guy a year too early but don't trade them a year too late, you know? Um, that's kind of the way it is. So that would have maybe been a year too early, but, uh, you know, might have worked out in the end. So what do you guys well, think? Well, I mean, I think it's real easy to, to look back in hindsight and say, yeah, 2015 would have been the time. But I, I just remember the 2015-16 team that, you know, went out in seven games versus the Blues in round one. I, I think everybody thought that that team, especially after they made the deal for Andrew Ladd at the deadline, that that team was, you know, had had what, what it would take to to go deep in the playoffs. And you, if that was your belief, then you had to have Corey Crawford, you know. Um, so, um, yeah, I mean, but, you know, now at this point, um, yeah, I think I think only the delusional at this point think Corey Crawford is part of a meaningful future for this team. Aaron, you got anything to add? Not really. I mean, I think the whole um, no trade clause with these with this core, I think they bought into that whole thing too. It's these guys have played through a lot together, and they like Chicago. Think of all the yeah. epi NHL markets that they could go to or be traded to, um, where you and your family have to just kind of deal with it and freezing Winnipeg or whatever. I mean, Chicago's a great city to be in and you're playing with all your friends that you've won championships with. 
it's not just like, all right, I'm just going to accept changing my life so this team can get better. It's just, that's not the way it goes. So, um, you know, Corey Crawford's done a lot for the team. And I, I know it's hard to, you know, be so loyal when it comes to trading players and doing what's best for the team. But I don't know. I, I hated his contract when he signed it, but now it seems so much more reasonable. Um, I, did, I think it's just Crawford's just going to run it, run its course and then they move on to younger goaltenders. And I, I, really, I really don't have a problem with it. All right. Well, speaking of goalies, there's something we actually missed. Uh, I want to wrap up at the end with this. Uh, it was announced yesterday that, uh, just surprisingly out of the blue, that Colin Delia was called up uh, from Rockford. Um, and then shortly thereafter, it was announced that Cam Ward hurt his knee, his right knee, against the Sharks. Shout out to Charlie Romiliotis for going back to the game film and actually finding uh, where the spot where it looks like he kind of got his knee twisted underneath him. Uh, no one else had that. So Charlie, uh, shout out to you for that. Um, but yeah, it looks like he's going to be out seven to 10 days. I mean, I don't know what that's going to entail, but Delia was called up on an emergency basis. So he'll probably get a couple, a game, maybe or two in here. Uh, but, uh, depending on how Ward, uh, heals up, but, um, you know, it's, it's not the biggest thing in the world, but it was kind of a surprise to everybody's, uh, the first thing I think everyone immediately thought was, oh no, Crawford's you know, her, you know, Crawford's, you know, experiencing some symptoms again or something like that. But uh, so we're kind of glad that wasn't it. Not that it's better that Kim Ward's hurt, but, you know. A knee injury is a little bit easier to rehab than a concussion because concussions, you just can't rehab them. You just got to wait. So um, anything, you know, anything last to add on the, uh, the Delia stuff call up? No. Yes. Nope. Aaron. No. All good. Okay, cool. I got a plug. Uh, yeah. Give me, give, give me a second. <laughs> I'll get there. So anyway, uh, wrapping up, you can find all of our uh, comp- comprehensive content at www.thedashrink.com. Uh, you can find us on all the popular social media at the rink official at the Rinkcast is the Rinkcast account. Uh, I am at puck and hostel. John is at Jekyll J A E C K E L. Uh, Aaron is at late in the Goldie. Uh, that's a mouthful. And, uh, Make sure you follow all of us. Uh, if you get a chance, please head over to iTunes, write and review us. I checked earlier today. There weren't any new reviews, but please, if, you, if we'll read it on the air, if you put it up there, if it isn't, you know, as long as it's entertaining enough uh, that people will find it interesting. Um, but please head over there. Spread the word of the uh, Ringcast. Uh, before we get too far, uh, you know, into the plugs and stuff, just want to say we have some really good guests lined up. Um, you'll recognize all of them. Uh, I'm not going to, uh, you know, tell you who they are now. I'm going to make you, uh, pay attention, but uh, make sure you follow the rink cast for, uh, the rink cast account on Twitter. Uh, and we will announce them as they are happening, but it looks like we have at least probably the next three weeks, um, booked up with very good, um, guests so um so we're gonna just tease that by saying who is one of the last people you would imagine being a guest on our show yes (laughs) he's coming on we're just gonna dangle that out there right like a carrot in front of a horse so we're gonna dangle that out there for you so think about it um and uh we it will be released or you know what on that one i don't even know if i'm gonna release it ahead of time i'm just gonna make people download and listen 
because this is going to yeah. be a good Very one. This is going to be like special mystery guest. Yes, this mystery guest is going to be legendary. It's going to be legendary, and no one, <laughs> no one saw it coming. Um, so uh, yeah, that's that. Um, I've got a plug. Uh, I want to plug my guys. It uh, I mentioned them last time. Five star window tinting in New Lenox. Um, my guy there, uh, Chris, taking care of me, uh, getting my windows tinted on my brand, brand new car. Um, they have really good stuff. If you're in the area, you need windows tinted. They do like headlights, taillights. They do all that stuff. Great guys. Um, you can find them on their Facebook page. Um, I think it's five star window tint and, uh, is their website and, uh, yeah, really good stuff there. So, uh, John, what do you got for plugs? Uh, last, well, so here at the ring.com, we are apolitical. Uh, but last week we did Is have like a political plug um, <laughs> for a Twitter follow, a Twitter Twitter account that we recommend everybody follow, at Trump, all lowercase, underscore NHL. Uh, but we have to give equal time to the other side of the political spectrum for another Twitter, Twitter account to follow. Bernie, capital B-E-R-N-I-E, underscore NHL. Um, there's some... Uh, some fun uh, back and forth between Bernie and Trump uh, on hockey <laughs> topics um, on those two uh, Twitter Twitter feeds, and uh, so we highly recommend this week Bernie underscore NHL. And l- let me just say that uh, you might not want to follow the Kim Jong Un <laughs> NHL account, which is st- which is just completely like uh, somebody's tripping on acid who came up with that one yeah. because the the tweets are just like. Uh, like from from another world. Yeah, you might want to stay away from that one. You don't don't want to get too involved in in, in foreign policy, foreign NHL policy. <laughs> oh God, Kim Jong Un. <laughs> <laughs> the fuck is wrong with them? Fuck, figure it out. That's what I say. So figure it out. Aaron, you got anything you want to plug? Yeah, I actually wanted to plug uh, John Dietz really quick he's our guy we love john deets yeah we had a we had a whole positive john deets session last week but go ahead yeah go ahead that was like the john deets episode that was like the john deets tribute episode <laughs> yeah yeah i just felt like he's been really real um you know we've been pretty hard on the media about the um fluctuations in what this team is and kind of what they've been feeding the fan base and i think john's been uh really down to earth and real about what this team is and He's been sending out some some tweets and some some facts, some statistics that show that maybe this team isn't who we thought they were, and uh, maybe they're not a playoff team, and they need to improve in certain areas. So, John, we really appreciate the honesty and the facts to support those, um, you know, those points, and keep up the good work. We appreciate you being real with us. I agree, hundred percent. That's that is really our goal. That's always been my goal from the day I started writing, was just to make the fans, you know, see the reality behind what is going on. You know, it, it kind of started with the, in 2010 with the Blackhawks when they had to let players go because of certain reasons, because of monetary reasons and stuff. And everyone's like, oh, well, first thing they want to do is tear this team apart. Like it was some kind of grand conspiracy. And, and, and like that was just aggravating to see people say things like that. Like that doesn't even make any sense. So like. Be real. Like we want just the fans yeah. to be smarter. We want the fans to yeah, think. I mean, logically. That, and that's what, go ahead. No, just, we want people to think logically. Use common sense. Like 
that's what we preach. And, and that's what John was talking about was common sense stuff. And we, you know, more, more, you know, Charlie Romeliotis, as much as he can be, is being real, you know, right. with, with his stuff. You know, they, sometimes he kind of toes the company line a little bit. And, you know, sometimes, you know, they just have to do that in, in the position he's in. But for the most part, he's, he's real and he's honest and we like that. And it's not any of this, you know, he, he even like you, you could see hear it in his voice when they were talking about the playoff thing. Like he didn't really believe it either. And, and that's, you know, instead of preaching this playoff to the, you know, to the meatball fans who, you know, will believe anything, just say, Hey, this team isn't really, you know, they're not really a playoff team. They're doing well. That's great. They're not really a playoff team. It's not really that it's not realistic. Just be like that. It's that's, that's what we like. So you have anything you want to follow up on that, John? I know you. Yeah, I just, I, I mean, I remember when when I was writing over at Hockey Buzz for eight or nine years. I mean, the the readers who I developed the deepest relationships were with were the long term season ticket holders who went way back with this team to the dark ages of the, you know, the 1990s and the you know the early 2000s and, you know, people hawk fans, hockey fans in general, but hawk fans in particular actually chump up a lot of money every year to go to games and um it's a significant investment and, and my personal feeling is that the team is obligated to to be to be honest with them you know and and to to be accountable you know when when the product stinks don't lie about it just be honest and and then start doing the hard work it takes to fix it you know and Dale Talon and Peter Wirtz started that process back in the early 2000s when they, you know, they, they really, really tanked and that's how they got the draft picks and they made some smart trades and our talent made some smart trades. And, you know, that's, that's how this dynasty really started again with some help from the previous um, regime, Mike Smith and Marshall Johnston and, and Rick Dudley. Um, but, you know, that's, that's all we want, you know, and when, when, you know, listen, and it's a free country. People can spend a lot of money and go to games and, and wear all the jerseys and try to hang out with the players and be complete idiots. Um, <laughs> I don't know who you know could possibly about. I don't know who um, you could possibly be talking about, John. But but the, the most most fans go and they they want to they want to be entertained and they want the team to win and they want to have pride in the in the in the uniform and that's where we are, you know. So when we seem like we're being negative, it's because we're typically it's because we're smelling BS. Sometimes we're wrong. We've admitted that. Um, but a lot of times, a lot of times we're right. And it's because, you know, we're, we're old and we're, we're angry and, <laughs> and grumpy and we want you to get off our lawns, damn it. Yeah. But in the meantime, we're going to be in the pursuit of truth, justice and, and uh, Stanley Cups. That's all I have tonight. <laughs> <laughs> Great way to cap that off. Yeah. Sorry to steal your thunder, uh, Aaron, on that one, but you got us all pe- get us all wound up. You got anything else you wanna you wanna bring up? <laughs> no, that's generally what I do. Okay. All right, all good, my friend. All right, so thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedules to download, listen, and support us. Until next episode, see you on the rink.